Hey guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, if you've been listening for a while and you have not hit the subscribe button, I would encourage you to do that. Again, that does help us uh, to be more available for those who are looking for youth ministry content. I am your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. Hey, man. It's good to be here with you. And uh, I'm, this week, we actually had an opportunity to, well, more like David had an opportunity to talk to, I guess, one of my most favorite people from college, and that is actually uh, Dr. Brown. So, David, how, how about you give a little snippet, a little intro of, of who Dr. Brown is? I know we're going to talk a little bit about that in the interview, uh, but for those who are listening, kind of give, kind of share a little bit why he, uh, he has been so influential in both of our lives. Well, I'd have to say that Dr. Brown is probably one of my f- three favorite youth ministry professors at Liberty when we were students there. <laughs> We only had three um, <laughs> and we true. loved all of them. <laughs> that is um, true. It was great. But uh, my, my journey into youth ministry uh, was actually probably, I, I guess you could say hugely formed by Dr. Brown and Dr. V and the goose. But um, the, the reason for that is because most of our peers uh, went through the youth ministry degree program over the course of four years, three or four years at Liberty. I did mine all in one year at, my fourth year of college because I changed my major in my fourth year. So I took every youth ministry class they had in the course of one school year. And so I had Doc Brown and the Goose and Dr. V multiple classes, multiple times a day for two semesters in a row. And I got to spend a lot of time with them. And uh, Dr. Brown is one of those guys that um, he doesn't put up some flashy veneer on what ministry is going to look like. He doesn't try to dangle the carrot in front of you. Um, he, I, in fact, I think he referred, if, I don't know if you remember this, but I think he referred to the Youth 201 class, which was like intro to youth ministry, as uh, this is the class that where we pull back the veneer so you can see what it's actually like. And uh, that was like the filter class. So if you really weren't called into youth ministry, that was the class where you were like, oh, I'm not called into youth ministry. I'm out. <laughs> and then whoever made it past that was uh, were the ones that were probably more than likely called into it because they made it through the pulling back the pretty layer and, uh, and moving forward. But he was also the professor who um, I had for Youth 460, which was the class where we had to plan an entire year's worth of youth ministry in a huge binder. And that was like our whole grade for the year. <laughs> Do you remember making that? Oh, yes, very much. That was, uh, that was the year that I was uh, preparing to get, uh, the semester I was preparing to get married because I took that in my last semester of college. Mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I didn't put as much time into that than I probably should have. I still made a, a good grade. Um, you still have it? I still have it. It's, 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 yep. it's, Never got rid of it. 
but I do have to say I was more concerned about getting married than I was that class that semester. I I can understand that. I can understand that. I think um, I was dating my wife. We had started dating that semester, so I wasn't as focused on the marriage part. We we weren't we weren't there yet. But that oh that class was hard, man, and that that binder was hard to put together. And I kept it because it was I got an A, <laughs> so I kept it. But I mean, he he worked right alongside with us. He wasn't on some like lofty tower, you know, um, yelling down platitudes at us. He was right there in the trenches with us. And and even after that, I mean, you know, it's been. Uh, yeah, well, okay, we got students graduating this week in my school. Um, every day this week, they've been graduating. So um, at the time of this recording, so it has officially been 10 years since I was in a classroom with Dr. Brown as my professor. And, and since then, we've kept up with each other. And he's still, you know, he still cares. He's still speaking into my life and in ministry. And he's, um, he's still been available. And, uh, and then we actually, we've actually been able to see each other a few times. And so I finally, you know, last time I saw him, I was like, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? And I'm sure that there's hundreds of youth pastors and youth workers out there that would love to hear from your years of not just um, teaching, but also experience in youth ministry. And even now, um, you know, he's not a full-time professor anymore, but uh, he's still working in a church with a youth group um, doing ministry, staying faithful to that. So I'm really excited about this interview because it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, it's going to be a two-parter. Um, and, uh, this, this episode will be part one and, uh, he ri- he lays just like a really solid foundation for why youth ministry matters and why it needs to exist. So I'm just really excited about it. Absolutely. So I, yeah, especially this week, this, we're going to be talking specifically about, uh, why youth ministry matters. And this is a topic that, uh, again, both me and David have heard many times from Dr. Brown, uh, we were in classes outside of class years later. So I- I'm looking forward to hearing uh this uh this topic of why is it important so stay tuned as we talk with dr brown Hey guys, I'm really excited today because I have the pleasure of interviewing an old professor of mine. Uh, And when I say old, I don't mean old man. I just mean that it was 10 years ago that I had the privilege of uh, sitting in several of his classes. Uh, But he was a professor of youth ministry at Liberty University. And um, he's had some changes over the last few years. So I just want to give him a minute to introduce himself and let you guys know what he's up to today. But I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Rich Brown. Well, greetings, fellow youth workers. Yes, David said, my name is Rich, and I have been in student ministry for a long time. Um, God called me back in the early 80s when I was uh, very young, about 20 years of age, and uh, was in youth ministry. Got that degree, by the way, in uh, full-time youth ministry, and then uh, was in student ministry as a youth pastor for close to 20 years uh, before God crazy stuff brought me back, kind of boomeranged me back to where I started in my calling here in Virginia. And I was blessed to teach in the classroom, um, doing some research recently, over 2,000 some residential students in 16 years and about 5,000 online since 06. So from 2003, we left Seattle, Washington, 
and where I student pastoring there and moved here. And uh, this last year, um, the uh, some of you may understand this word in, in church world. It's called restructuring. And there was a major restructuring. And so therefore, I am now continuing on because I am a student pastor at heart. So I did 18 years in the church, 16 in the classroom as a prof, and now I'm working with peers. That's how I put it. That's on my website. It's kind of the way I've labeled that. So I started a ministry called Next Gen Matters, and we'll talk more about that in our next episode, our next um, uh, podcast. But uh, God has really put that on my heart because, you know, bro, David, I'm not done. Uh, I still volunteer as a student pastor here at a church plant in Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, started this ministry really where I'm focusing on how to help. Uh, nurture and equip and train and just champion student ministry, but especially my peers, youth workers themselves. So I went from pastoring students to then um, training future youth workers to now, hey, come on, Lord, let's do this, right? Let's work now with the current youth leaders who happen to be sometimes half of my age because I am 57. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm secure. That's okay. We, I'm we not old. It. I'm just seasoned. How's that? There you go. <laughs> And, and we need it. I mean, it's, it's the classic, you know, you need people that have gone before you to show you the way, especially when you're struggling. So I really appreciate you being here. And uh, today, uh, one of the things that we're going to be covering, uh, it, it directly relates uh, to what's going on in our country right now, I think, because um, as I've been talking with fellow youth pastors and I'm in several groups on Facebook and I'm just watching them converse about what church is going to look like in the next couple months as we phase back into whatever normal looks like. And a lot of them have started um, sharing that some of their churches are not seeing a place uh, for an active student ministry any longer. And that's a little disheartening. Um, but uh, I know that there's a solid case to be made for having a student specific ministry in a church. And that's something that I wanted to just ask you about today, Dr. Brown is uh, uh, first of all, I think we would agree. There's a great argument for having a student ministry, but can you, uh, can you share with us today just a little bit about the biblical basis for even having one? Right, right. Oh my goodness. Um, David, as you know, I spent 30 some pages in my doctoral dissertation just on this particular topic of a biblically, not just sound, but also a biblical, um, let's say biblical formation or foundation, um, validation of student ministry. And something I'd bring up in my intro youth class for the year, over the years, was I'd ask three basic questions. The first one was, does the Bible say to, you know, verily, verily saying to you, go have student ministry? And I say, let's be honest, the Bible does not use the term student ministry. Before you wig out and leave this classroom, change your major, um, let me go further. But are the principles of student ministry you know, housed within scripture? And I would say emphatically, yes. And then the third question uh, would be, so where is its place in the local church? So let me kind of take that first question. Does the Bible specifically say, go have student ministry or go be a student pastor or whatever? No, it doesn't specifically say that. And neither does it specifically say, and not to throw anyone down the stairs on this, but neither does it say um, the term you, uh, worship pastor or even senior pastor. There's terms that we use today that maybe the terms were not used in first century, um, you know, the, the, the beautiful pages of scripture. But just because those terms weren't used um, doesn't mean that the principles were not there because we are called 
to be elders, to be pastors, to be uh, bishops, those words used in the early church, beautiful words, that's our, that's our calling and our responsibilities. Those are still in play. And as, I, as you know, David, I laid out for all those years in class that the validation of there's a team of, of elders, of shepherds in each local church in the New Testament. I used to taunt my students with the following, hey, I'll, I'll pay your tuition if you show me the scriptures where there's only one pastor per church. So some guy got, he got smirking. He wrote in the back of his Bible, there's only one pastor per church. He showed me his Bible. He wrote in the back of it. Then I reminded him of Revelation 22. <laughs> I use that card. <laughs> Don't play hardball with the youth pastor. But anyway, I said, no, but they, they got the point. I said, yeah, they're sure there's leader of leaders. I get that. I mean, Peter had tremendous influence over the other apostles, but they were together as a team. Acts 15, Jerusalem Council, you see team. And I see right there. So while it doesn't say, example, in the book of Acts or Paul's letters to Timothy or Titus, it doesn't say, so, hey, student pastor, it does say plurality. So there's a team. So I take on, or David, you take on the role of someone specifically focusing on adolescent ministries. Uh, yeah, there's actually been a movement for the last 10 plus years, and I don't want to get down that road too far. But just to say it's out there, and these are well-meaning, godly people that just don't see the need for what we call today's student ministry, and they, they throw us down the, down the stairs, under the bus, and everything else. Um, and I say, well, let, before you throw us out, let me just ask some questions. And here's some of the simple questions. At what age is one most open to the gospel? Statistically, and this is George Barna of the more recent research, says 77% of all who receive Jesus receive him before the age of 21. So basically, that's 8 out of 10 of all believers who receive Christ before 21. Um, when I get to speak, and that's what I'm doing now in my new ministry, traveling a lot, speaking different churches, and I love to represent well student ministry in the larger body context, for example, a Sunday morning service. And even just recently, this a few months ago, not recently, because we've been doing nothing recently. <laughs> <laughs> Feels but, like that. But uh, this seemed a few months ago when I was up at a, a larger church uh, in the Northeast. And I said, just randomly, I said, I just would like to know, how many of you received Jesus before the age of 21? Could you please just honor me, just raise, raise your hand? And the majority raised their hand. And I said, how many received Christ 22 or up? And crazy, it was about 20%. I'm like, whoa, you just this is a con congregation. Come yeah, uh, probably five, 600 in that service. And that, and that, you know, come on, one, that's not drilling down too deep. That's just one church, but still, and you cross the line across the board. And when you ask folks in your church, and I would encourage you ask folks, when did you receive Christ? And, and if you ask them, let them share. They're going to tell their story. Awesome. Because the most open we are to the gospel is when we're young. That's why, I mean, think about Ecclesiastes um, chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. He is writing his journal, his memoir of how, you know, without God, life stinks. I reached everything. I did everything. I've had everything I ever wanted and more. And it's so stinking empty. And he does a recall. And ironically, I'm actually reading through Solomon's life even, even today, because I do the chronological biography here to happen this morning to be in the back end of Solomon's life when he leaves the faith following um, different gods as he followed many different ladies and, and the, the whole, oh gosh, he was like, what was going on with him? So tomorrow's reading is going to be Ecclesiastes because that's the whole chronological order, right? 
So here's the dude kind of packing it in end of his life. And he says, if he's talking to students, he's saying, remember your creator when you're young. Um, what about the next generation? And, and that's what we're, we're talking. Is the next generation desperately needs to hear about Jesus? Because not only are they the most open to the gospel, is those 21 and younger. And David, you know, this next stat, it's four. Four out of 100 adolescents in our nation would even claim the foundational, absolute, you must have these tenets of the faith to be born again. That is, the scripture is the word of God. There is a God. It's Jehovah God, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is God. Jesus is born of a virgin. We call these the fundamentals of the faith. These are the core essentials. You can't pull these out of the Jenga tower and still have Christianity. Mm. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is sinless, yet fully divine, yet fully human. Let's get our heads around that, right? That's difficult, but it's, we understand that because Scripture teaches that. He dies for our sins vicariously, rises again, ascends to the Father, will return. Now, we can debate all, how that's all going to play out, but the fact is he said he would. And then how we attain righteousness and holiness is not through anything we bring to the table. We just bring our junk and say, here, Lord, take me. I'm yours. You have paid the price for my salvation. It is my, my faith in what you have done on the cross that saves me. My repentance and my heart just turned over to you, Jesus. I'm yours. Only four out of 100 students in this country would say, yeah, I am born again by the power of God through his grace, not any efforts on my part. Four out of 100. And, and David, again, you know, you know this because we've talked about so many times in the past, but that's not overnight. That started the earliest we've had some research was Youth for Christ in 19, you ready? 60. My parents were married in 1960, bro. That's a long time ago. My mom got saved in the 60s, I think. Wow. I was born in the 60s. There you go. <laughs> I mean, so in 1960, you had 5%. And the term back then was Christian conversion experience. Coming out of the Billy Graham Crusades with Youth for Christ, 1950s, etc. Terms they used. You know, today we say, you'll be giving your life to Christ. We kind of use that phrase, that, that, that line. They would say the phrase, uh, Christian conversion experience, only 5 so we've gone from 5%, Youth for Christ drilled down again, late 80s, it came up 6%, and now it's at 4%. So here we've had the last six decades of give or take 5% of the American adolescent being born again. So when people say, why is our country in the situation it's in? Well, we don't, we've had the last six decades of adolescents who've not come to faith in Christ. So those adolescents of the 60s are now the grandparents or great-grandparents, and that's the condition of our country. So when a church says we're missional, okay, let's, let's put it in youth worker. You'll love this. Let's put it where, where it's on the table. We're really missional. We want to reach people for Christ. Well, the question is, who's the most open to the gospel? Adolescents. Who's the least people, least reach people group as adolescents? what else are we doing? I mean, really, end of the day, what else really matters? So youth workers like, well, I'm going to take a real job and go do something else. Okay, if God calls you to jump, bounce, do something else, okay, that's between you and God. But there is such a tremendous need for biblically sound, godly men and women who will step into leadership roles. Because adolescents are the most open to the gospel, and yet they're the least reached. It's a very white field for harvest. And it's a very large field. Um, 85 million children and youth under the age 
of 19 in this country. And when you take that 4%, that means 82 million do not have Jesus Christ in their life. And, and I'm not here to talk about, we're not here talking today about like depression and different issues and cultural trends going on, cultural issues going on. There's a lot of hurt, we know that. And that's what I encourage you as a youth worker to consider this, okay? When somebody at church kind of pushes back on youth men, say, look, just, just do me a favor. Just go to a mall when everything opens up, right? Go to a mall, go to a local football game. That's where it's crazy town. Go to a local high school football game. Don't be judging that. I'm just doing Matthew 9. Just look at the student body and ask yourself, what would Jesus' heart be for those students? Do those students, did, did, Jesus, did Jesus die for those students? I hope you say yes. Did, does Jesus want those students? Because Jesus told the 12, looking at the masses, the fields are waiting to harvest. You're right, David. And he said that they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're directionless and they're protectionless. They're sheep without a shepherd. And they're hurting and they need to come home. So youth ministry matters. Boom. So in light of that, let's say you, you, you're having a conversation with someone and you bring some of these, this information up, which is, I mean, frankly, it's stuff we need to hear. But um, how do you respond if someone looks at you and goes, well, I mean, it's the parent's job. Like Deuteronomy 6, like they're the ones that are supposed to disciple their kids. It's not your job. Well, I have some skin in the game. David, you know very well, one of, one of your friends is my oldest son. <laughs> you guys are in school together. Yep. So at the time of this recording, you got I have a 31-year-old, a 29-year-old, and a 24-year-old. So I think I do have some skin in the game on this. I understand that Ephesians 6 tells me as a father to provide spiritual leadership to my home. Ephesians 4 tells me and you, David, as, as pastors, that our responsibilities as we shepherd God's people are to equip them to be fully mature in Christ, not just to do Christian work. Um, we think of works of ministry in Ephesians 4, but it's more than just, you know, providing wonderful things we can do for our community. It's also being fully mature in Christ. The whole passage talks about community. We need to create in student ministry cultures of community. I don't want to jump off on too much of a tangent there. But Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 6 are both in play. And sadly, and unfortunately, I think in the church, there's this wrestling that goes back and forth of which rail on the railroad tracks is more important. Ephesians 4, it's the church's job to disciple the adolescents, or is it the home's job to disciple the adolescents? Ephesians 6, and let's see it as a railroad track. And that is both rails. Yeah. And so that makes both. sense. Yeah. But, but, but I'm, let me go back, please. Let me go back to this. But when you have 82% of children and youth in this country who are unsaved, they're coming from unsaved homes. Matter of fact, there's been more research. It's only 8% of adults claim that same faith in Christ. 8%. Not the, not the Gallup 33% born again truly signed off on, I agree with those same foundations of Christian doctrine that I've already mentioned, don't repeat them. And I have also received Christ as my Lord and Savior, only 8% of adults. And all that tells me, David, is these children of years gone by, they're now the adults. That's all it means. So in other words, yeah, when Ephesians 6 is imperative and it's there, I also know that probably eight out of every 10 families I'm seeing at the mall 
they're not saved either, or actually more than that, <laughs> they're not saved either. So we've, we've got to go reach them. They're not just coming from unsaved homes. They're also coming from broken ones where, um, I mean, I have kids in our community. There's either just a dad or just a mom, or they they're even, some are even being raised by their grandparents. And I mean, that plus all the kids that are in student ministry age bracket that are in the foster care system still. And so they have, uh, they don't even have the opportunity to experience what Ephesians six looks like. And right. so the, they're trying to ride their train on a one, on a one rail track. And, and that's all they're getting. Yeah. And today's purpose is not to talk about, let's say family ministries. That would be a great conversation at a different time. And I'm sure you've already covered a lot of that stuff in your various podcasts, but I am not by any means, if you knew me, you, you, I am so pro-family when it comes to student ministry. And that's including adolescents from unsaved homes. We've got to do everything we can to champion the family. I am, I am a, and David told you yesterday on the phone, I sign off on all my parent emails. I send out weekly emails to our parents in our church, weekly. Give them the notes. I tell them what's going on informationally, but also give them the notes. And I sign off on, together we disciple. And I've let our parents know, Ephesians 4, that's our role as a church. But you have Ephesians 6 role. How can we champion each other? So as I'm championing student ministry, that does not mean, again, we're in disagreement or we're in a fight with the family. No, opposite. We're actually, we got to cooperate, not be in competition. Yeah, I agree with that. That's something I start my ministry off uh, every year with. Uh, we try to do a parent meeting uh, in August because our schools don't start until September. So we usually don't start our main, what you call the programming stuff until right. September each year. And I, I let them know I'm, I'm, I'm on your team and I'm cheering for you to succeed because I know if you succeed, then your children will succeed. And um, I, I'm, I'm here to provide support. Um, I'm here to provide resources. One of the first things out of my mouth when a teenager asks me for advice is the same thing my youth pastor said to me. What did your parents say? Drives, drove me nuts, drives them nuts. But it lets me know that I'm not going to fight against their parents because I've had teens that have come to me and they think I'm going to be on their team and fight against their parents. And I'm not their primary spiritual authority. That's their father. And, and so I can't buck against that. So what would, in, if, if we're to look at this at like a practical level, what does uh, recognizing the two rails of the track, what does a healthy student ministry look like in a local church? Well, I, I see it as a, a three-way construct, if you will, almost like a triangle with three points, um, that there is a place in scripture for, let me say, age-specific ministry. And while we do have times, not 100% of the time, but while we do have our times, and for you or I, maybe a Wednesday night, Maybe it's one-on-one discipling. There are our retreats, et cetera, our, our, our structure. There are times that we do age-specific ministry. While we do age-specific ministry, we also, points B, then C on the triangle, must be local church connected and family-friendly and champion the family. So therefore, as I do age-specific ministry, I'm letting our students know that we are part of a bigger picture. When you had our senior class, David, you may remember this, but I would grade you guys down if your handout cards did not have a footer that said, you know, ex-student ministry 
is the student ministry of Y Church. In other words, the Minds Impact Student Ministry of Bedrock Lynchburg Community Church. Not to make it a shout up, just to give you real life context, all of our cards, I will say, we are part of our church. Now that's just a visible thing, but I'm sending a message. Yeah. We're not, we're not our own deal. We are part of a greater family of this community. So, and there's, and, and I've, oh my gosh, I mean, I've laid out so many things in the past on how you can do action steps, how you can do that. And again, we're not going to maybe go through that, but we have to be local church. Uh, we are part of a local church. We champion the local church and we champion families, right down to scheduling things, et cetera, how we can really come alongside mom and dad as we do age specific ministry. And that, that's something that I, I've noticed a lot of guys, at least in my um, circles, they're, they're trying to head that direction. Um, and I, I came out of uh, 90s youth ministry as a student. Um, I, I was in high school in the early 2000s, but the 90s mentality of youth ministry, which was sofas, pizza, and chubby bunny, it was basically glorified babysitting. And, um, and because of that, youth ministry wasn't taken seriously. Youth pastors weren't taken seriously. I have myself been asked, when are you going to become a real pastor? Yep. And um, so if we have a guy that's listening out there and, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to do his best to lead his student ministry in the right direction and, and he's maybe inherited a mess or he's inherited something mm -hmm. that's actually working well and he's trying to maintain that, um, but it's not quite to the point where it's a student ministry that is actually making disciples. Mm -hmm. What would be a couple of things that you would give them advice or tools to point them in the direction of starting to move towards making disciple-making students in their student ministry? Well, that has to be your, your, your mission statement. Um, has to, at the core of it, has to be the word, something about disciples. Um, mine is um, the idea of developing a team of adolescents or, you know, of students who will impact their will for Christ. We're all about disciple making. That has to be at the core. And that's just the quick little flyover purpose statement, developing a team of students who will impact their will for Christ. Then there's a mission statement, a vision statement, and a strategy statement, which not to get so lost in the weeds on that. But our mission statement all has to do, the specific mission statement has to do with we need to get the gospel out to as many students in our area to see them become fully devoted disciples, followers of Jesus. So it has to be, we start with, we, we are not a youth group. We are a student ministry. And everywhere I live, in the 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, even now as a volunteer student pastor, um, I want at the heart of everything to know, we're not just here, like you said, chubby bunny, whatever. We're not just here to, to take up space and time. We're here to be missional. Because, and here's the other caveat, who's the most open to the gospel is adolescence. Well, who's the most um, listened to by unsaved adolescents? Our other adolescents. So if we can get our students to understand that they are, if we could train them and unleash our adolescents to be the, the heralds, the messengers of the gospel like they're called to do, they already live with the students. They are a student. Okay, so if we could really get our students to see, we have to become missional. We're about making disciples. And, and, and some may think, well, that's putting a lot of guilt, a lot of pressure on them. I'm not telling them to reach the adult world. I say, just, just try to reach your world. 
<clears throat> that may be two or three people you know very well, but create a culture around you where you can actually engage gospel conversations. I don't know if that helps or not, but that's where it starts. Yeah, it does. There's a, there's a much higher likelihood that one of my students will reach one of their peers than I will reach one of their peers. Um, and isn't it fun to see them share the gospel and not oh, you? Oh, it's awesome. And it's fun to see their friend respond. And, and that moment, and I, I hardly ever see it, but that's just because of the world we live in. But the moment that it clicks in a student's mind mm-hmm. that they just influenced a friend towards Christ and that they got to be a part of that, uh, it, that's an awesome moment to see that, that they realize, I just, I just had an influence on someone for eternity, and God let me do that. That's amazing. So I think it really starts with being missional for you as a student ministry leader as you work out, but it really even deeper to the core is your own sense of calling. Is this just a shtick you're doing to jump and bounce to the next thing? Or is this really passionate on your end? Because they'll sniff out a fake right away. Are you passionate about a calling to student ministry? And do you see, do you see yourself as a shepherd? Now, I know there's people that are not paid. I'm a volunteer. We're not paid as pastors and maybe we're not even called that. But you kind of got the lead seat on the bus. Um, whatever role you're, you're engaged in, see yourself as a bona fide adult who is shepherding students to become like Jesus. Don't, you're not the boss. You're not just their buddy. You got to have a balance, just like parenting styles. You're not coming here playing hardball, but you can't just let them do what they want, just trying to be their buddy. You have to have that balance. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He knew when to lean in, get hard on him. He knew when to back away. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've seen from a distance youth pastors who try to be buddy, buddy friends with their students. And it looks weird. Um, And the students, you can almost, almost see a a switch flip with them where they suddenly realize like this guy's just trying to be cool. Like us, like our version of cool. He doesn't actually want to be in a, in a relationship with us that means anything he's just trying to he's, he's like a teenager that hadn't grown up yet <laughs> well and as if if i'm talking to any of you who are 40 and up um you've got adult children now many of you and when i speak at camps or whatever i'll just say hey as a dad of adult children let me just talk to you as a dad i just play what it is it is what it is i'm not trying to be 21 that's a store forever 21 they're probably out of business now i don't know but I'm not trying to be forever 21. I'm in my 50s now. I've embraced it. I have a four-month-old grandson. I'm good with that. Because I can have an influence at that level. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and trying to fake it to make it, trying to be their age, it's ridiculous. Oh, they're the biggest fake detectors out there. They can smell it a mile away. And, and that's going to... I know it's cliche and it, and people say it and they now say it in a way that makes it sound silly, but they're really not going to care what you have to say. And they're not going to care what you know about the word or what you know about growing up until they actually know that you care about them. And, and it's from a, you mentioned it earlier, like a shepherd cares for his sheep, not like a buddy cares for his buddy. You know, he's, you want a guy that actually has your best interest at heart, doesn't want to just goof off and have fun with you. 
if we really see ourselves as shepherds and study what was the chemistry, the DNA, what was the makeup, the responsibilities of a shepherd, exactly what God through the Holy Spirit told Paul what to write, and Peter as well in 1 Peter 5, and we study what it means to be a shepherd, you'll have no problem with students wanting to hang out with you because they want to be loved and valued. They, they're attracted to that. And, it, and it's got to be authentic. We can't manufacture that. So let's say we've got someone listening and, and they're actually doing some of this and, and part of them is encouraged. Like, okay, at least I'm headed down the right direction, but, but they're getting discouraged because they're not getting much of a response or they're getting those parents that are just hitting pecking them to death. Or they have those rebellious teens in their youth group that are just not, they, they've done everything well with excellence and there's no response. How do, how do we encourage, uh, not how do we encourage, how is it important for those of us who are at the forefront, maybe in the youth pastor role, to, uh, to encourage and to equip our youth leaders? Well, now let's think of ourselves as not just shepherds, well, yeah, before I jump to the other role, let me, let's think of ourselves as shepherds. My bad. Um, in John, I believe it's 10, John 10, also John 15, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd in both passages. It's John 10, he talks about the hireling, the old King James, right? The hired gun to watch the sheep, my, my new translation, just bounces when the going gets tough. Yep. Okay. And whereas the shepherd leans into the sheep, goes finding them when they're lost, and we know how that all plays out. So when you see your, I think it really goes right back to, are you called? Now, David, if we're talking about you've been in church for four years and it's just not clicked, you know, when do you get off the horse? That's, that's, that's a big conversation right there. That's a whole <laughs> been, other two, three episode series. <laughs> I have so been there. Like, when do you, when do you stay faithful? Mm-hmm. And when do you go, okay, Lord, are you looking me? Are you looking to move me on? And, and I have been there enough, unfortunately. And I, let me just quickly say this. I would always stay, and I went through, David, you heard my stories back in the day in school, but I would stay through the ugly and through the nasty until I knew that God had called me out as he had provided something else for me because I wanted to be faithful to where I was at. And at the same time, trying to, if there's some things I need to work on, well, maybe there's some really uh, real, real big things I need to work on. I mean, sometimes we do have to look in the mirror, as James says. You know, we're not perfect either. Um, so maybe there's something, and we have to build healthy, I'll say alliances. We have to build healthy partnerships with the people in our church. So we include them. We don't, that's one thing when we're always excluding ourselves from the main body. Well, yeah, we're going to get shot at because we've taken the students away from the church. So there's a lot of things we could do to be proactive and in leaning into our church. Maybe that's another issue too. Um, but when you've done everything and it just ain't clicking, that's when you just seek the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you know, direct me, but I will be faithful. And I say, I'm a big fan of this, but I will be faithful until I know exactly that you have called me out. I think it does more damage than good if we check out before we're actually not there anymore. Um, cause that can, that can, that can ruin some relationships. That can point people in the wrong direction. Um, but uh, you kind of gave a little bit of a spoiler earlier, um, but we are planning on coming back for a part two 
uh, with Dr. Brown, and um, he has started a new ministry, and I'm just going to dangle that out there for you guys to to think about until our next episode. But um, he started a new ministry that's um, that's there to help uh, those of us who are in the student ministry world. And um, I'm excited about it because a lot of what he is bringing to the table is uh, not just his experience, but also his tenure as a professor and helping those of us prepare uh, in the classroom as we go out into the world to do youth ministry. So um, I will, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here. And next time we get together, we will be talking about a little bit of his personal journey on how he got to where he is right now with the ministry and then talk about that a little bit. Um, but, uh, until then, I just want to ask you real quick, uh, Dr. Brown, if anybody wants to get in touch with you about some of the stuff that we talked about today, uh, what would be the best way to contact? And, and please do, um, Facebook and my website, uh, for next gen matters. I mean, I have my own personal account on Facebook, but next gen matters is the name of the ministry. If you just go onto Facebook and go next gen matters, it's right there. So there's a page, you can leave me a message there. Also on the Facebook, pardon me, on the uh, website, nextgenmatters.com. Very simple, uh, nextgenmatters.com. And there's uh, you can look at some things. It's still populating. I'm, uh, this is a newbie ministry, so it's not uh, totally where I want to see it as far as the website goes, but it's very functional and very helpful. Um, and I'm excited because I want to be starting some new blogs and blogs and podcasts on my own. So, But we'll save that for another episode. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Brown, for joining us today, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Man, I am so thankful for what uh, Dr. Brown does, his heart and his passion for youth ministry and, and his heart and passion for diving in and helping youth leaders, those who are not necessarily working uh, full-time in full-time ministry, but those who are volunteering because uh, I, 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 in some ways, that's a gap in a lot of ministries is developing those leaders because the average church, again, is, is about 60 in attendance. That's a, that's a national average. And because of that, there's a lot of youth leaders that are leading youth ministries that are not paid. They're not full-time staff and they don't have the education they don't have uh, the resources. I'm, I'm so glad that Dr. Brown's heart is to train and reach those type of uh, youth leaders and train them to be more effective in their ministries. Yeah, and I'm super thankful for the fact that this is a guy that we've been able to watch for years, and, and he has stayed faithful to the calling that the Lord has called him to, and he has continued to um, grow and push himself and, and continue to push the guys that have come through his uh, ministry. Uh, and, you know, we call it a classroom, but really, you know, for us, it was a ministry. And um, I'm just, I'm just super thankful for his, uh, his willingness to hop on here with us. And, and I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about the next episode as well, uh, because uh, there's, uh, there's a lot more in store. Yeah, the, the next episode you definitely do not want to miss uh, because we're going to be diving into Dr. Brown's new ministry wrapped around this whole idea of training the next generation of leaders and, again, connecting it to why youth ministry matters and why it's important to for training 
youth leaders and youth pastors and why that is, is extremely important. So you definitely do not want to miss our the next episode as we talk with Dr. Brown.